Welcome to the Real Change series on the Meta Hour with Sharon Salzberg. Inspired by Sharon's newest book, Real Change, this series features conversations with activists, artists, and teachers, all discussing the intersection of meditation and social action. To learn more, visit realchangebook.com. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm speaking today with teacher and author Joelle L. Daniels for the Real Change podcast series. Joelle, also known as Joelle Leon, is a performer, author, and storyteller who writes and tells stories for Black people. Born and raised in the Bronx, Joelle specializes in moderating and leading conversations surrounding race, masculinity, mental health, creativity, and the performing arts with love as the center of his work and purpose. He is the author of Book About Things I Will Tell My Daughter and God Wears Durags Too. His recent TED Talk on healthy co-parenting has been viewed over 1.2 million times globally. He's worked with the Gates Foundation, HBO, The Today Show, BBC News, Sirius XM, Forbes, The Huffington Post, and others. And the one and only Lin-Manuel Miranda says, Joel's words are where I go when I need some inspiration, and he never lets me down. I'm so delighted to welcome you to the Meta Hour, Joel. Uh, I'm so glad to be here for the Meta Hour. Sharon, I also paid Lin-Manuel to say that for me. <laughs> so, you know, I, shout out to Lin. Well, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, and that's where I found you. That's where I found your work. And I'm, I was trying to think back. I was probably, uh, since I do follow Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he might have retweeted you or, or commented on something. I can tell you that is exactly what happened. I can, okay. I can almost, you can't pinpoint the date that we began following each other. Um, but I definitely remember, like, it was one of the first times Lin had started retweeting me. Because um, I've known I've known Lynn for for a little bit, and we had just started following each other on Twitter. And I remember being like, "Oh, who's this?" Like looking at some of the cool people who were following me back, and then like you popped up, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is this is super awesome." <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, recently, uh, because I retweet you a lot, somebody had had written. I can't remember who this was. Said. I feel like it's some kind of weird stalker. Can I possibly retweet every single thing he posts? <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, I do too. <laughs> like, first of all, you say it faster than I can. You know, like sometimes I'm struggling, like, how do I say this? What do I, you know, what do I want to impart? And it's so beautiful, truly, everything you put out there. And I think I'm just going to retweet him. I don't have to bother writing anything. <laughs> I mean, first of all, that is, I can, I'm glad we're recording this so I can save it and play it for my children when they become adults so that I can tell them that Sharon said because <laughs> that that is the most humbling thing I think I've I've heard because I think you are such a wellspring of knowledge and spirit energy. So to hear that from you is, is wonderful. Um and I'm grateful. I'm super grateful to be able to like hold that kind of space um for you and for us in that way. That's dope. Well, you really do. I mean, uh, you know, of course, I connected so strongly with the things you were writing because of love and yeah. and how hard it is sometimes to talk about love or um, how essential. And, uh, you know, the last book I wrote, not the one that's just, just out, but um, was called Real Love. And, and in it, I was talking about this quote from a movie, uh, Dan in Real Life, which I had seen a lot oh, of times. No. Oh, my God. You know, because my goddaughter had like a tiny little part in it. And, uh, oh, so and so, so I saw it a lot of times. And <laughs> um, there's this quote in it, which is one of the characters says, "I uh, love is not a feeling, it's an ability. Love is mm. not a feeling, it's an ability. And I really love that because, of course, love is a feeling as well, but when it's an ability, it's not in someone else's hands to give to us yeah. or take away from us. It's really inside us. And yeah. and then it's also our responsibility if we want yes. to nurture it and bring it forth and, and so on. Yeah. And, and, and like you, you, you read my mind because I think that's where I immediately go to. It's, it is, um, it's something that we can like hone 
you know, it's, it's a muscle, it's a, but really it's a skill set. And I think the more we can kind of view love through that lens and also, you know, like a lot of the work I've been trying to do as far, trying to do as far as my creative practice has been removing, not removing, but in addition to love being viewed from like the romantic lens that I, I think, especially Hollywood tends to portray love as it's really about the, um, the ability to love in, in various um, scenarios and situations, like whether it be platonic, um, familial, um, love of work, um, pers- like love in, in the pursuit or this love of the process of whatever your work is, whether it be the meditative practice or your nine to five work or the work of parenting, right? Because of that in, in and of itself is a job, but being able to view it as an ability allows us to stretch too, right? Like you can, you can maximize the opportunities in which love gets to exist. And I love that framing of it because that ownership part of it is so important because I think we tend to, we tend to forget we have autonomy. We have so much autonomy when it comes to talking about love, being in love, being of service to others while in love, whatever that looks like for us. Yeah, that's great. I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell the world a secret. Once I tell yes. you a secret. Yeah, I, guess. Yeah. I guess this is not a private conversation. <laughs> or, is it? or is it, Sharon? Or is or it? Is it? <laughs> Good point. So I wrote, I wrote this book, Real Love, and it's all, in a way, based around that one sentence, love is not a feeling, it's an ability, and yeah. the empowerment of that and, and everything. And then I turned it in, and the editor said to me, you didn't finish the book. And I said, of course I finished the book. That's why I turned it in. <laughs> and, and she said, no, no, you just like told a story and then you drifted off somewhere. You have to finish the book. And I could not finish that book. I kept staring at the screen, and staring at the screen. I, I couldn't finish the book. And then the presidential election of 2016 happened and I finished the book uh, in 15 minutes. <laughs> really? I finished the book in 15 minutes. I just like. If love is an ability, it's also a responsibility. So what's my responsibility now? Yeah, uh, that you see, that's what I'm talking about. You see that, uh, yeah, that's that's that powerful stuff that you're talking, that, that you do so well. It's it's what is my responsibility now? And I love that because, and, and I feel like you are the person and, and what I would encourage everyone to be able to do is to keep coming back to that. I feel like we negotiate ways in which we live in love or anything that we decide to, to call up passion point bombs, right? Like we negotiate it and then make a decision about that thing in year one. Right. So like we make a decision about, okay, this is some fucked up shit. Like where where a lot of us are not happy about it. How do I show up now? Right? Like where's the opportunity for me to show up in love? And not love and in, in, in the love that you're talking about is not passive. You know, and again I think it goes back to this romantic like the, the romanticized ways in which we view love. And you're talking about, okay, I'm going to use this love in a very proactive, challenging way, almost. And it, it's easy to not see love as that. I think we tend to view love from this lens of an inactive process of just being and heart-shaped emojis and googly eyes as opposed to there's some real transformative work happening here if we're looking at it as an opportunity and a responsibility in the times when we're afforded to. That's really beautiful. You're in New York City right now? Yes, ma'am. All right. How is it there? <laughs> hot. It is hot. I mean, granted, I mean, the, you know, the AC is on, bl- on blast. I don't know how our electricity bills are so low. They've been relatively low these past few months, but it is it is hot. And, you know, I'm self-quarantining now. Um, I had to, uh, I went to visit my um, eldest daughter, Lila, uh, in Houston. And Houston is mm. out of control. So... You know, you, you sign a form when, you, when you're when you on the plane, on the flight back to New York. The CDC is literally waiting for you like their concierge. You get off the plane. Oh, wow. Yeah, like to get the forms from you to make sure you fill it out. Um, and then I have to self-quarantine for 14 days until I can uh, be out. And uh, What day are you up to right now? I do not know. Jerry, that is a very good question. I, uh, <laughs> you're not counting. You're so good. No, I'm just winging just it. Just in the moment? <laughs> yeah, I'm just winging it. I'm like, I think it's day 10, maybe. Oh, know, yeah. You're we'll see. You know, but it's, you know, I, it, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a born and raised New Yorker, too. So, like, I, it, 
the the situation we're in now, even outside of just the self quarantine, just businesses being closed and some people not really following appropriate guidelines and you know for whatever reasons that 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 they might have uh, some of that's been a little troubling but it's also been encouraging i think to see people come together in spite of circumstances mm-hmm. you know in that way well i'm in barry massachusetts where the retreat center i co-founded is next door through the forest and it's closed of course and I have an apartment in New York um, that I rent and I spent the month of February in California and then I came yeah. back to New York and I just, in early March, and I was just like, this doesn't feel good, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It feels yeah. so tense and I'm getting anxious and I have yeah. a house up here. And yeah. I thought, actually, I thought, I'll go up to to Barry for a couple of weeks, you know? <laughs> so I came yeah. up with my snow boots and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I've been here ever since. And and I've only left this property. I have a house and there's some woods and, you know, next yeah. to the center. And I've only left the property once because I had to go to a local clinic for some routine blood tests. And I even, yeah. there was a couple outside the clinic not wearing masks. So I even got to be annoyed at that, you know. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. This is like a tiny little world I have now. And <laughs> You're differently. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it's it's you know when I left, so like similar. I mean, granted, not similar. Like I'm not in Massachusetts, but when you know I have a nine to five job, and so when um we had I so my I have, I have two children, right? So like my daughter West was born January 25th, um, and COVID hadn't really hit New York, right? And so mm-hmm. in the ways that and at least we that we knew of, and so you know I, I had some paternity leave. I come back to the office, and right around the time I come back is when our um, our agency was kind of ahead of the curve and issued the mandate, like, hey, listen, we think it's time for everyone to just work from home. And I took a couple of things from the office, right? Because I'm like, see, the same exact thing, Sharon. I, it's going to be a few, a couple of weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks, maybe. And then, you know, that turned into July. And, you know, we're still working yeah. from home. And I'm, I'm glad you said what you said about it didn't feel right, because even in that period of March, I was feeling a lot of discomfort and um, I, I want to, and, and to be honest and frank, I felt like I had, I'd fallen into, into a bit of a depression and really what, what it felt like was, um, right I'm not going to try to self-diagnose myself, but there was some real pangs and tensions of attention of surrounding me being a, a, a father for the second time and really yeah. disconnected um, from West at that point. And it, it's easy. It was easy for me to kind of beat, beat myself up about it as opposed to recognizing to your point, like March was just a really heavy month, yeah. you know, like a lot was shifting. And thank you just saying that I think gave me more freedom to give myself grace. So I appreciate you for doing that without even knowing. But no, thank it, you. I mean, yeah, that's fine. It was, you know, and I feel like in some ways I was just sensitive to a kind of collective energy. I feel like I was actually ahead of the curve a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah, for sure. I, I got really anxious and, and I left. And then I was I was being interviewed on this show and, and they said to me, are you feeling a lot of anxiety? And I said, no, I feel so much sadness. And that was before, you know, like kind of the grief really hit. And, and then I thought, and then I'm just tired. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm just like mapping it out for people or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I think you were ahead of the curve on that. And I, and I, know, I mean, great, I don't love you being sad, but I think – even when we look at love as an ability and really a choice too, right? And a responsibility, all those things. I think outside of some level of chemical um, uh, chemical imbalance, right? Or some mm-hmm. like diagnosis, it, it's really, it, we do kind of have the choice to decide how we get to show up for the moment. You know, I could be anxious about it. You know, there's a lot to, I think, to be anxious about, rightfully so. And, and for those who are anxious, like that's completely fine. I, I also, for me, in, in a similar way, I think I, I was trying. What I was trying to recognize and also be able to reconcile was like, this is a, this is a very different moment, a moment I've never experienced before. And honestly, I've been. This is the busiest I've ever been. Um, <laughs> I agree. Right, and I think, and and I and I and I know I'm speaking for both of us when I say this. And it's like there's a, I almost it, you bringing up 2016 and. Use in recognizing the responsibility and love as an ability, I think, shows itself in this period now 
where I think you're probably probably being called upon and asked to do the work that you've always been doing, except mm-hmm. in a, a bigger and broader way. You know, because mm-hmm. I think that's what what the community has been calling for. And the community never really the community I felt like was treating love and healing as kind of a, a, a side dish, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. there's all these other things you have to worry about. We have to worry about bills, household, parenting. It's like, oh, you know, I'll get to. Yeah, I'll meditate a little bit, but I'll get to the healing and like love thy neighbor, love myself, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that later. And it's like, oh, I have to be home all the time with all the things. Mm-hmm. Everything. <laughs> Let me call Sharon. You know, like. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anytime, man. This is, we had a, we had like a karmic breakthrough. We're actually talking to each other instead of tweeting at each other. You know? Yeah. So, you know, anytime. But I, yeah. yeah. But I think that's it. It's like we are, we're at a place now where. The folks who have been, I think, yeah. trying to show up and do the consistent work of healing are being asked to kind of expand. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually for me, it's been it's been interesting and really cool to see people really trying to lean in, even if they don't know how, you know. Because I think for me, like a big part of that understanding, you know, that I've come to is that, like, I know even when I said I felt anxious, some people can be disappointed. Like, oh, you feel anxiety, too. You've been meditating for nearly 50 years, but, you know, that's not the point. It's not so much what comes up, but how we relate to what comes up, you know? And so can I love myself anyway? Can I have some space, some spaciousness around these things? Can I not project, oh, this is the way I'm going to be forever, or I'm the only one, you know? Can I not hold it in isolation, but understand I'm part of, like, the larger community of people, and, and we're going through a lot, and and it's fine that, you know, all these things arise and we have such an opportunity to relate differently to everything we're going through. And also, you know, to be with the painful feelings differently and and not forget, not just overlook the joy and, and that there's there's goodness also. And I think and I mean so so beautifully said, and I, I hear that and, and what I think about too, and, and, it's, and it's been coming up in a lot of conversations I've been having, uh, like that balancing act, right, mm-hmm. of being cognizant and fully aware that, yes, there was trauma here, there was pain here, there was loss, grief, suffering, right, all, all these things. Um, and there's also, again, like the word I, I feel like that kind of keeps coming up outside of ability is also opportunity and responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Like there's also an opportunity here, you know, um, for me, the, the the goal has really become like part of part of my creative practices has really become like dismantling systems um, creatively, um, systems that, that that oppress marginalized people, and mm-hmm. we tend to look at government systems directly as opposed to like how is patriarchy contributing to our oppression, how is misogyny contributing to our oppression, how is the way we talk about masculinity, the way we talk about race, the way we even talk about art. Um, Oh, don't talk about art in, 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 in the ways it can heal. Um, and, and how do we kind of dismantle the old ways of thinking? But part of that is being able to see there's an opportunity amidst the, 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 the trauma and the grief to, to show up in, in a way that, that, that is most aligned with where we want to go. And um, also in, in what you're talking about is like not a fixed view of that either, right? It's, I can... I can see maybe the uh, despair and, and, and the pain and the angst in this space and period, but I also know that there's something that, that, that lives outside of that that can be joyous. And I can hold space for both of those things, mm-hmm. even without taking away from the energy that those things bring, you know, and, and not making light. Because I think sometimes it's easy for us to think if I'm happy, if I'm choosing to be happy in this space, I'm just being ignorant of the pain that's Mm-hmm. That's happening alongside of it. It's like that's really that's really beautiful. You're reminding me of this uh, part of my book, which I should have let you write because you're no, great. Please, um, no, please share. But please. anyway, you know, this is part of my book where I had I've been invited down to Florida uh, to the Parkland community to mm-hmm. teach. And, um, this was the first time that I I was there, and um, there was a young woman who was not at the school the day of the shooting, but her mother was. She was a teacher and she was fine, but they didn't know that, of course, for many hours and it was devastating anyway. And 
And she said to me, you know, I'm having a really strange experience here in this day of, of practice. Because she said, it's really wonderful. And and it feels really incredible. And I know the only reason it's happening is because that horrible thing happened. And I don't know how to get over that to really appreciate this. And I said, you know, I don't think you get over it. I think you hold them both. Mm. Yeah. You know, that somehow we have to have space for both to be true because they are both true. Yeah, yeah. And and I think sometimes we do we do a poor job of holding, you know, and holding and not clinging. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like because it, it's easy to fall into the trap of clinging even the good stuff. And, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here with you, but the idea of like we we hold on to the things um, and then we try to not hold on to the pain. Right. It's like I don't want to yeah. I don't want to be with that. And it's like, well, exactly to your point, you can you can two things can be true at the same time. You know, like Trump can be uh, an asshole and Trump can also have some, like, based on the member, like, based on his um, niece's, uh, uh, you know, like, he could, there could be some trauma attached to that. Yeah, yeah. And I, right? And I think it's, and and it's something I've been trying to communicate to people so often, Sharon, it's when we talk about forgiveness and people tend to think forgiveness is about lack of accountability. And for me, it's like, no, forgiveness means you're holding people directly accountable and responsible for the behavior. And what that means is then I can still hold two truths together. Like you could mm-hmm. be, you could have done something that's very shitty, but then also I can recognize maybe you, I don't know, you put together a, a book sale drive for, 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 for the kids in the community who didn't have them. You know, like that, like mm-hmm. pe- people get to be more than one thing and these situations get to be more than one thing too, which is what I think you're also talking about, which I would love for us to kind of start believing in more because then we wouldn't be so hard on ourselves, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true because we're more than one thing ourselves. Right. Yeah, like even just like chemically, you know, like we are made up of so many different things and it's easy to kind of start focusing in on um, either the things we, we despise most about ourselves or the things that we think, quote unquote, need the most work um, as opposed to just being able to hold all those things and not cling to them in a way that allows everything to live in that space, you know, without taking away, they don't take away from each other, you know? So great. So let's talk about art for a minute. I was uh, really struck by what you were saying a little bit earlier because I was, um, it's also like uh, a big, you haven't seen the book yet, but you will. It's actually like a big theme in the book because I was, I was talking to Bell Hooks, and I was in Kentucky, and she's a friend of mine. Sure. You can't just be saying stuff like that casually. Like, you know, you know, I was was talking to Bell Hooks, you know. know, (laughs) What? That's that's amazing. I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's okay. I was, um, you know, I grew up in New York City. I was born in the Bronx, too. I grew up in Washington Heights, and then I went to college. How how did we not have this conversation? What? I don't know. We haven't had a conversation. This is true. This is true. But yeah, that's, 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 that's wild. That's, yeah, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I grew up in Washington Heights. I went to college in Buffalo. I'm a product of the New York City public school system, so I skipped two grades. I went to school when I was 16, college yeah. when I was 16. I went to India when I was 18 uh, because um, there was an independent study program at my university in Buffalo that allowed you to go somewhere for a year if you could create a project. And said, I want to go to India and study meditation. They said, okay. So I went, wow. um, which of course was the beginning of my whole life, my whole real life. And and uh, came back as a teacher a little more than a year later. And uh, I liked to come back and finish school and I went back and then I came back as a teacher and I was teaching. And um, it was only, I was writing this book called Faith, which came out uh, about 18 years ago, almost exactly. And I wanted to, leave Barry and just go somewhere else. And his friend offered me an apartment in New York city because she was coming up here to do a retreat. And so I went there really for the first time as an adult in living there. And I loved it. It was, it was so meaningful for me. And somewhere I heard that bell hooks had quoted me, which I thought was like the honor of a lifetime. I met her. And so we became friends and we used to go out to dinner and 
And then she moved to, she moved back to Kentucky, which is where she'd grown up, and we completely lost touch. And then just a few years ago, um, I was renting this apartment, and so, I don't know, there was no water. So I don't know, there was some <laughs> New York problem. And uh, so I checked into this little hotel in the neighborhood, and there was Bell Hook sitting in the lobby. What? Uh, she was coming in to teach at the new school, and she they would put her up there. And so we renewed our friendship and awesome. and we really bonded. So whenever she was coming to New York, I would see her. And then, although I must say, um, I don't think this is telling tales out of school. She's a little hard to keep in touch with because she doesn't do email. Oh, and man. she doesn't even have a cell phone. She like borrows a neighbor's cell phone when she like, travels. Like, what's up with these great things? Because like Fran Lebowitz is the same thing. Like she really? doesn't even have, yeah, she has a, I think she has, she has a house phone. That's it. Yeah. Like, no email. It's like, what do you, okay, thanks, I guess. So because she borrows a neighbor's cell phone, it's always like a different number, you know, like, <laughs> I don't even know what she's using. But uh, anyway, wild. I have her number in Kentucky, so it worked out. So I went there to teach and I was working, now I was working on this book, Real Change, which is about mindfulness, loving kindness, and, and social change. And I use the term social action in Bell, who I find of, like of all the people I know is maybe the most exacting and precise about the use of language. Uh, like, no, don't say that. Say it this way. Or what do yeah. you mean by that? That's unclear or that's misleading or something. And, and so she didn't like, she told me she didn't like the term social action. Uh, and she said, because her, for her, it implied a very narrow stream of activity, like protesting. She said, yeah. what about art? Yeah. You know, yeah. art is one of the greatest means of social change. And isn't that what we mean by social action? So that became a whole theme in the book. Uh, I, I, I can't, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to speak. I, I got misty eyed a little, a little, um, when you said that, because to hear Bell, Bell Hook say that for me just affirms the, the life's work that I, I feel like I'm dedicating myself to, you know, mm. I, I just I just finished reading Freedom Dreams by um Dr. Robin D.G. Kelly and essentially he's talking about the black imagination and the ability of the black imagination to 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 reimagine the, the, the future. And he opens the book and talks about poetry as a form of social protest and really viewing social justice and the work of social justice through the lens of poetry and that how poetry is so free form and so open. If we can view movements in that way, the amount of work we'd be able to do and accomplish is, is, is staggering. And so I spent a lot of time feeling like before I read the book and even hearing this quote now that you shared from, um, with me from, from Bell, I spent a lot of time really just not being sure if my art meant something to the revolution and to the work. And even when I think of the Nikki Giovanni's and, and the Sonia Sanchez's and, you know, the Amiri Baraka's, these individuals that, that I think really own the space for revolutionary art, you know, Audre Lord. It's it's hard for I think ourselves in the moment, you know, to 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 see if we are doing the work of our ancestors, you know, like Zora Neale Hurston's and, and the Langston Hughes, right, uh, of the world. And mm-hmm. it's but I think if taking it taking it taking it away from that as an aside, it's the things that have been most meaningful to me that have encouraged me to be more active in the community to be more active in my process has come from artists, has come from art, whether it be from spoken word artists, hip hop artists, theater art, you know, um, in, in just poetry, you know, like it's, it's consistently inspired me to look and reach for different ways of communicating. You know, I, Chuck D, he had a, a, and him and Tupac said similar things about this. And, and really it, it was, Chuck D said, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not Malcolm X, but I hope to inspire the next mind that will be. Mm. You know, and Tupac said something similar about, you know, I might not change the world, but I'm going to inspire the next person to do so. And uh, for me, that's something I've always tried to own. Like, I don't know who I am right now in this moment besides, you know, a black father, black man, you know, a brother, whomever, an artist who's just trying to, trying to give everyone the space to feel, to sift, to be with. And to also deconstruct, you know, the, the ways that we view not just art, but society and how art can be a catalyst for that. Um, yeah, I think I, I wrote a piece recently called Poetry Will Save the World because I believe it. 
And I think the more I can believe it in it, in that, I think the more it can potentially become true. Uh, and so that's kind of my hope that, you know, we're all poems. I say that a lot, I think, sometimes on Twitter or um, just like in, in verse. You know, I, I think every single one of us is a poem. I think we all have a poem in us. And the more we can be less judgmental about how that poem manifests itself in the world, I think the better we will be and the more and the better art we'll be able to make. Granted, you know, I think better is subjective, but the idea that the more we're just allowing ourselves to be liberated and detached from the way we're supposed to show up, supposed to, quote unquote, mm-hmm. show up for the more the, the better we will be as a society, I think. And I think art can be the driving force for that. I totally agree. I think artists, and for many of us, it's the greatest driving force of that. And I'll tell you another story that's in the book or in yes. it. Um, I was at Emory University in the audience when the Dalai Lama and Alice Walker and Richard Gere were on this panel about art and creativity. The talk was sponsored by the art department. And um, the first question was a, a question I'm asked all the time, actually about different things, but basically it was, do you think great, great art has to come from great suffering or can it come from another place? And, you know, and Alice Walker uh, said some really interesting things about um, believing that when she was younger, but now felt that the happier she got, the better her poetry was getting. And Richard Gere talked about being an angry young man. And then the Dalai Lama was so cute as he often is. He said, Basically, he didn't quite understand the question because it made no sense to him. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, people are always dragging me places and say, look at this, look at this building, look at this yeah. painting, you know, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it beautiful? And he said, in Tibet, we believe the, the worth or the merit of a piece of art depends on what happens internally to the creator as they are making it. Mm-hmm. So if, if the mm-hmm. artist becomes kinder, more enlightened, more aware that's considered great art mm-hmm. and i thought that's different you know yeah, i like that yeah yeah that's i'm so glad we're recording so i can just keep listening to all these things so, <laughs> I, can, so I can write them down like it's sharon it's you know uh there's there's like a, a tradition in like the, the black community where they tell you to be careful about the kind of art you bring home right and maybe this is also similar in, in other communities but like you know, like if someone's making a thing, like if someone's painted you a picture or sculpted something, to be aware of the energy of whomever made that thing, like what space they were in when they were creating. Mm. You know, because like you don't want to bring bad spurs into your household, like things of that nature. And so mm-hmm. hearing the Dalai Lama say that for me also speaks to, I think, and like just thinking specifically for myself, where I am as an artist and knowing that I'm making some of the best art of my life. And like I'm in the most secure place I've ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, um, financially, spiritually, mentally, um, and and I think part of that is because I'm in a, uh, I'm I'm not in this, I'm in a, I'm in a place where I get to hold space for all of the things, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the the grief, the trauma, the joy, the 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 loss, the, the the accomplishments. It's it's all here, and I'm all, and I'm here for it all. And so, the art, my art, I think is reflective of that now, as opposed to maybe. I think when we're younger, we try to hide certain parts and we only put out the shiny things or mm-hmm. my heart is broken. And so like, it's writing for me when my heart was broken was cathartic, performing, like being on stage, whether it be emceeing or doing spoken word, theater, whatever. If I was going through something that was troubling at home or at school or in the workplace or in a relationship, then being on stage definitely was very like therapeutic for me. But I don't necessarily know if I was making the best art at that time, as opposed to now, where a it is cathartic, but it's also it's coming from a place of joy. Mm. You know, even in the in in the depths of sadness, there's still this piece of joy. Like I'm 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 having opportunity to share my gift, right, and and my ability. You know, right, like because it it it, it I think it goes hand in hand with the love that you talked about. You know, um, and and, and Dan in real life. Uh, again, which is such a phenomenal movie. I'm so glad you brought that movie up because I feel like it's yeah, thank you. Um, but you know, like I, art, art has been like I've been able to make art from a happy place, and it feels really good. <laughs> well, it makes me think. You know, like where does our greatest courage come from? 
Hmm. You know, because that's I and I said this in the book too. You know, that's what I count on for, from artists. It's like not their misery; it's their courage. You know, hmm. to yeah. step out and you know be be bold and different. Hmm. You know, help me see things in a different way and. Yeah. And uh, that's very courageous, and that's what I rely on. And maybe our our sense of wholeness can also make us courageous. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And, and I think furthermore, and, and I love what you just said, it, it makes me think about how we define what courageousness is. You know, we mm-hmm. like, especially in this period now, it's, you know, shout out to like, shout out to essential workers to the frontline workers, whether it be healthcare, retail, grocery, you know, all those, all those spaces, all those people who are being very courageous. And I think, I don't want to say heroic because I also think that that, that be, almost taints the work and it, it also speaks to like capitalism and why they even have to work in the first place. Right. But uh, I, I think when I think about courage, I also think about, think about single mothers or I think about the person that's, Mm-hmm. decided to be with whatever is happening in that moment. You know, like if you're, if you're being, cause it's hard. I, I think it, it's, we, we tend to downplay how hard it is to show up as you are, you know, because the world may judge you for it. And that could be scary. You know, being vulnerable is not easy, you know? Um, and it takes a level of courage to be vulnerable on a page, to be vulnerable in a conversation um, to be vulnerable uh, in, 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 in many different ways and dynamics. And so wanting to, uh, what I, I try to remind people to, uh, of is, just, is to, 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 again, give yourself more grace, but then also to, to, to recognize just, I think just breathing, you know, and, and being with your breath takes an act of courage too, because you're now, you're now surrendering to the fact that you, like breathing happens so automatically, you don't even think about it. And so taking the time to really be with that, I feel like it's just as important and giving ourselves the, 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 uh, the freedom to feel co- courageous about these small acts of, of courage, right? That, that, that I think take place on a daily basis. So did you learn like all this, what I, I find really awesome wisdom about life just from life or did you, <laughs> did you like have teachers or? I mean, I think, you know, uh, spirit, uh, you know, like I wish I would have known if you work a lot sooner, it would have, it would have saved me a lot of grief. <laughs> Being honest, I think, um, you know, Bud- Buddhism played a really big part um, in, 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 in the, in, in the self-discovery process from sharing. Like, you know, I was baptized, um, in the Catholic church. My mom is a very, my mom isn't a strict Catholic at all. Like we didn't go to service, none of that stuff. My mom very much praised the saints. That's a thing for her. But my older sister, who I didn't, I didn't know I had an older sister until I was about 10 from my father's side. Um, she, you know, and she, she lives out in, in Indianapolis with my brother-in-law and, and she, She's very much, she's a Baptist, grew up in the South. And so I would go to church with her. And so like that kind of started me on this path towards a religious practice. Like I was reading the Bible faithfully um, during those summers I spent in Indiana. And I got to a point maybe in high school. And I think some of us get to that point. And I don't, and I, and part of my work has also been trying to uncover why. And maybe we'll have another conversation about this because I would love to get your insights on mm-hmm. like, how do people decide to be aware? You know, like what is the, the catalyst? Like, how do you, because I, I'm very curious as to, and granted, we can't control this, but I wish we could to a certain extent, if I'm being honest, but like, how do we make unaware, quote unquote, people aware, you know, mm-hmm. like, how do you make a person aware of the things that they don't, they don't know, that they're unaware of? Um, but I got to a point where I, I felt very aware of like the practice and being like, there's more here. It's, it's more than just like, uh, like Islamic faith or Jew. Judaism or Christianity, there's something else. And I can't remember how I stumbled upon um, DharmaSeed.org, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I was looking for something and like just kind of talks or like meditations. I was trying to get to a space. There was a lot of friction happening in my life at the time. And I found it and I, and, and, you know, the, the, the Dharma spoke to me, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in, in a way that like kind of said, okay, this feels like something A, I can implement. And then also too, 
for me, it's be, it's less about, it's even less sharing about the practice on the mat. You know, I, I, I mm-hmm. would hear Dharma talks and, it, and a lot of it was, you know, don't forget to take the, the this practice with you off the mat. And for me, it was reverse. You know, I, I for me, I started trying to take the practice off the mat first. Mm-hmm. And then it's been more about coming to the mat and like, giving myself the, the the time to sit and and, and and be still. But really it was like, how do I take all these these nuggets of like of knowledge, of wisdom, of, of self-discovery, of love, and bring those things into my art, into the world, into my relationships. And you know, I'm I'm still failing at it like maybe fifty percent of the time. I think mm. I'm enjoying the, the the process and the practice of it. But I'm, in all honesty, Buddhism guided me and then like the more I was able to kind of throw shit to the wall and use life experience as a gauge to how much I'm learning, it's kind of like they work hand in hand, I think, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes total sense. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. Cause I think it's, I mean, obviously for me, you know, it was, uh, it was so essential and it, it happened to be the language in which I learned a sense of possibility, you know, mm-hmm. that, that things didn't have to be as they were. Like if I was going to use one word to describe myself when I was 18 and on my way to India, I would say fragmented, you know, Mm. it was just all over the place. I had no sense of a kind of core to my being. And, and I wove myself together in the loving environment that that meditation practice actually provided for me. And plus there was a lot within Buddhism, um, just the way things were expressed that I found breathtaking, you know, like yeah. anybody can do the practice. Anybody can be free mm-hmm. within. And, yeah. you know, you don't have to be born a certain status. You don't have to be a certain gender. You don't, you know, anybody. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, just because of my life experience as a child, you know, I felt very kind of left out of things and, and it was like the first time I thought, oh, me too, you know, look at mm. that. Yeah, 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 that, that's, that, is a, that is the exact same sentiment. It got to a place where it's like, oh, wait, and it, 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 it's like sometimes, okay, this is maybe a bad example, but I, I got a, I had a cut recently, um, yesterday. I was walking, I was just walking around the apartment and like my, my ankle started burning a little. And I was like, what, where, why is this burning? Like, where am my ankle? What happened? And then I looked and I kept walking back and forth and then it was still tingling a little bit. And I looked down and I had a, I had a cut, like some, some, some skin had broke a little. And I was like, wh- when did this happen? How did this happen? And I, Buddhism for me pointed me exactly to where the thing was. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I didn't, like before I was struggling to know where or how Buddhism gave me a foundation to be able to point to the thing and describe it accurately, to give it texture, to to be able to say, okay, I don't even need to resolve this. It's not about solving it or answering the question, but it just allowed me to sit with everything like in, in this most amazing way. So the things that I don't know, I can go, okay. <laughs> you know, even the things that yeah, I do, yeah, the things I do yeah. know, I can also go, okay. You know, do I know that? Or maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure. And being okay with the not knowing as opposed to my very Capricorn tendency to want to plan 18 steps ahead, which works well for me as a rapper. <laughs> you know, when I'm, when I'm freestyle rapping and I have to think of 10 words ahead of time so I can make them rhyme, that's fun. But planning do you, for that. Do you think of the words ahead of time in order to rap? Absolutely. So like when, okay. if I'm, so like if I'm, and this is what, and you know, I would love to, Lynn and I never had a conversation about the process of freestyling, but it's such a, it's, it's a science, you know, like Sharon, I, I compare it to, granted, I don't play chess, but I know how chess works for the most part. And I've always compared freestyle rapping, like just making words up on the spot to chess, because in chess, you, you're thinking, if you're, if you're playing chess in a competitive way, um, you're thinking at least three moves ahead um, of your competitor. And for me, as a, as a, as a MC, when I was on, if I'm, if someone puts a beat on or instrumental, and they just add, like, hey, say something off the top of your head. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll I'll start rap, rapping and then I'll, I'll say, okay, well, what word? Okay, let's say if I say glue. In my head, I'm thinking, okay, new, through. Like, I'm rap- as I'm rapping yeah. these words, I'm also trying to set up 
examples for the next word so that it feels linear, you know, and it, and it tells, it tells like a, there's a through line to the rap as opposed to, Hey, I, I never liked raps, like freestyle rap sounding like I didn't know what I was doing. So mm-hmm. very early on, I dedicated myself to, I would just rap all the time. And mainly because I was lazy, I didn't want to write. So I, was, <laughs> I didn't want to write, so I just had to make up rhymes all the time to the point that I got really good at it. But part of the practice for me was how can I set these words up, you know, so that I don't have to, it makes it, it, makes it a little easier to like go through that process. It's so interesting. You know, the, the group he co-founded, Lynn co-founded um, uh, Freestyle Love Supreme has this academy where they train yeah. people. Yeah. To rap yeah. from a yeah. friend uh, that I had gone to see a performance with, she just sent me uh, an email and she said, want to go, you know? And I wrote back and I said, I'd love to go, but I'm so busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you are, you are super busy. But shout out to Jelly Donut. Shout out to yeah. Anthony. Like everyone, like that academy is wonderful. Um, the work that they're doing and really, you know, bringing bringing art to the masses for people who there are people who have misgivings about Hamilton and I understand, I, I get it. But what I think what Lynn and what Tommy were able to accomplish with that art was a, whether like put hip hop in a position where it, it people were having a conversation about the art of it, you know, um, the art. And for me, that's what was most important. People having a conversation about it. And also I think it opened the door for a broader conversation about what is Broadway you know, like mm-hmm. what, what does it take to be a Broadway musical? And even for me, you know, because I wasn't even, I hadn't even been thinking about writing uh, anything that, that was remotely close to a play or something. And Hamilton, um, for me, was like, okay, this is possible. Even if it doesn't have music in it, we can start having conversations about what the culture looks like on stage. You know, um, Saul yeah. Williams, he had done, um, I think, How Live You Hear Me, I forget the name of the, I think it was a musical that he tried to bring to Broadway and it failed miserably. And I don't think it was any fault of Saul. I don't, I just think Broadway has done a, a very piss poor job of adjusting to the times and it wasn't mm-hmm. marketed properly. But I think Lens opened a floodgate where now, you know, granted, maybe not now it's COVID, but you know, yeah. you know, when you look at it, like when, when you look at a uh, slave play and you look at these other things that, that are coming to Broadway, that wouldn't have been be more chill. This stuff wouldn't have been coming up on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Four years ago, you know, five years ago. But I, I think what I love about that is what what art can do, and really what yeah. freestyle rapping can do, and how it's it's improv. It's 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 just as important. I think when we talk about theatrical training and ensemble work, it's just as important as STEM training. It's just as important as sports um, mm-hmm. sports communities. Like it it does something that is very impactful to the youth. Like, I don't know where I would have been if I didn't have the opportunity to study theater and to have art acting teachers and to have art cultivated in me, especially from the, from, from the hood I come from. You know, like, Bronx mm-hmm. too, Fordham Road, Creston Avenue, you know, 188. Mm-hmm. Like, we, there's, you know, you, opportunity is, is nil to none, especially in the era I grew up in, in the 80s. Jeremy, we're talking Reaganomics, we're talking crack, we're yeah. talking a whole lot of things that were hitting the, the, the Bronx hard. Um, but art gave me an like art gave me a space to be to a be myself to be this light skinned kind of dorky little uh, uh, a little husky on the husky side kid with a gap you know who maybe who who was kind of funny but I didn't really have a place it felt like but art gave that to me. It's so amazing. Well, in the grateful acknowledgments I wrote for Real Love, I tell the story about when a friend brought me to see Hamilton. And uh, I was I was working on Real Love, and I was incredibly discouraged, and I was really late, and I, I had I was just in a really bad way about it, and I had the the terrible thought, the truly terrible thought, just turn it in, you know, this is your tenth book, nobody yeah. cares what you have to say anymore. I'm really being honest with you. This is very self-disclosing um, to the world now. Uh, you know, and, and I said. Uh, you know, I, I, I just said, just turn it in, just phone it in, just turn yeah. it in. And this, this friend, you know, was coming through town and he worked in the music industry and he said, you know, I can get tickets to whatever you'd like to see. What would you like to see? So I said, oh, Hamilton. I didn't know, you know, like it yeah. was so hard to get and so expensive. And <laughs> yeah. So we went to see Hamilton and I was mesmerized and I just thought, Lin-Manuel Miranda was still in it. And 
I kept looking at him thinking, you wrote this. Like, right. this came out of your head. And I thought, right. you can never just turn something in. You can never just phone it in. Mm. Everything you do, you have to put everything you've got into it. Mm. And my friend still teases me. He said, and then I turned to you and I said, do you want to go out to dinner? And you said, I have to go home and write. <laughs> you were inspired. And that's, that's, I was that, inspired. that is the beauty of the work, you know? And, yeah. and, and I, I think of all the, 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 the Latinx kids and, and mm-hmm. the other black and brown kids who got to see whether or not you agree with, you know, David playing like a slave owner or Lynn mm-hmm. playing a slave mm-hmm. owner. Yes. And again, it just kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? Two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To be able to see David rapping, like even like I say it now and I almost get emotional, like to see him rapping on stage and not like, you know, I don't know. I don't, not like silly rapping, but like rapping, yeah. you know? And it's it's also cool because I think about, I, I think about Lynn often because, you know, my, my daughter Lila loves Moana. And oh, so, yeah. <laughs> The thing is, like, if you, you know, if, if you're an artist and you're paying attention, I can hear, I can hear Lynn in the songs. Like, Lynn writes in a, and it's something that only happens, I mean, it happens in other places, too, because you can hear, you can hear a certain a musical and know, like, who wrote, who wrote what, if you're a studier of that. I'm not, but, like, I know there's a community of people who know. But, like, in hip-hop, if I hear a Pharrell record or if I hear a Timbaland record, I know, I can, I know that they produced it and they wrote it. Is there's a certain way that they write and produce music. There's a certain way men write songs. You know, um, like I can hear like this cadence is his tone, like in, in the characters. And, you know, if if he would have phoned that in, we wouldn't have had a, a, a Hamilton or, right. or you know, like and, and I think it's what I love about that too is that you being patient with your process, you know, which I think younger me younger me was such a, a, a brat about that, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like needing things to happen right, right now. And, and it, if it doesn't happen this exact way, which again, Buddhism helped because Buddhism allowed me to detach from the outcome. Like, and there's a tendency to think detaching from the outcome means a lack of care for the outcome, as opposed to a, I'm not clinging to this as a way of being, or this needing to be a certain way in order for me to, be happy with the result you know like i'm invested in the process like if you weren't invested in your process we wouldn't have had real love which i think mm-hmm. probably have been a um, would, would have been a loss for the community that way you know yeah this is it's so great to talk to you. i don't want to stop but i guess we're coming toward the end uh, of yeah this is yeah we so can let's do it again okay yeah, please, this was great like even just hearing these stories in the book like, I'm so excited to read this. I'm super excited to read this. Well, thank you. I actually want I want to close my part with quoting something from your book um, and then ask you to lead a meditation. So yeah. you've written a few books, and most recently the 2017 release book about things I will tell my daughter, yes. in which you say, you were born with seeds of prosperity already planted inside of you long before you arrived. The magic you see and feel now has always been inherently yours. It is okay to own your goodness, your joy. Do not let others deflate the wonder in you. In moments of weakness, know and understand all that you need, you already have. You've already been given. You are equipped for this journey. Your spirit has been given the wings needed in order to travel this path. Your process, your practice, your learnings, all come from the in-betweens of your flying through the course that is your life. So thank you so much. I would love for you to lead us in some kind of reflection or meditation practice. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Sharon, thank you. Um, so I, I think I'm just gonna, going to uh, ask, ask for us to just be still, right? Um, really important in this space to feel the breath and 
start at the bottom. You can get get what it feels like to feel the bottoms of your souls. Then in doubt. Then move to the tips of your toes. See what that feels like. Out. We can slowly start working our way up. No, you don't have to cling to anything, clench anything. Maybe you've had a hard day at work today, at home. <laughs> um, things maybe didn't go your way. You can feel that in your calves, right? Just then, just let all of that out. <laughs> How can you give yourself grace in this moment? How can you give yourself peace in this moment? You can feel that in your knees. What's that feel like? What's the flavor of that? And then, without. There's a lot going on in the world. What is our role? It's our responsibility. Right? Some of us don't know. Some of us want to know. All of that is okay. Sometimes just the mere asking is the invitation. So let's look at our thighs. And then and breathe out. More breathing in, we're just kind of taking in everything that's here. You can hold three seconds or five seconds and just breathing it all the way. Hips. What are we holding there? You know, what tension is in there? What 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 interaction from last week are we still holding on to? No. Just breathe that in. Breathe it out. How can you forgive yourself in this moment? You know, maybe there was a thing that you wanted to do that you forgot to do. Maybe there was a thing that you think you were supposed to do that you didn't do. Maybe there's a thing that you did do. Maybe you didn't do the best of what you define to be your capabilities. Maybe that's sitting in your, in your pelvis. Just breathe it in. Breathe it out. And just try to think about how you can love yourself in this moment. What can you tell yourself? What can you give to yourself? Just breathe all that in. Breathe that out. Breathe it out. If you're sitting, standing, whatever, shake it all out. Shake out the remnants of today, this week, this month, this year. It's been a year for a lot of us. Some of us have lost people, we've lost things, we've lost opportunities. Some of us have gained some things. We need insight, new friends, new relationships, new job. Whatever those things are, loss or gain, just hold on to those things. This breath, just let them go. Just let it all go. Mm -hmm. 
That was really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I mean, you are incredible. Like, I'm so glad I get to do life with you. It's awesome. I'm so glad I get to get closer and closer to you. So please, let's do this again. Truly. Yes, yes. And I'm sure that we'll meet somewhere when we <laughs> yes. can. Yes, like, it's, you, it's not even a question. You give me a time, I will be there. Absolutely. Without Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. And to learn more about Joel's work, you can find him on social media at J-O-E-L-A-K-A-M-A-G. <laughs> yeah, no, I Definitely mean, follow him on Twitter. Yes, please. And, or you can follow me on Twitter, and it'll lead you right to him, because <laughs> most of what I do is retweet him, really. <laughs> you will see amazing wisdom <laughs> coming from him well, if you follow me on Twitter. Yes. Um, Thanks to all of you listeners out there. This has been the Real Change series on the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, and may you live with ease. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. Real Change is available September 1st in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats. To receive a free meditation from the book, pre-order your copy today at realchangebook.com.